Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Imprint Companion, a podcast that catalogs, that unpacks and unboxes all of the releases from the incredible Imprint Boutique Blu-ray label here from Australia. I am one half of your physical media obsessed partnership, Blake Howard. And joining me as always is a man who, despite growing older, is aging like a fine wine. It's Alexi <laughs> Toliopoulos. How are you, sir? Bye. I am very well, Blake, and I'll tell you, it is my pleasure to be with you here today to discuss physical media on the weekend of my birthday, which is how I would choose to spend every birthday to talk about <laughs> the thing I care about most, which is the discs and the films that they contain on them. We've got a lovely batch of films that we are catching up over today. We are talking about the February batch from Imprint. We sure are. Um, the February batch uh, has a total of uh, a total of six films in it. Mm -hmm. We are going to be covering in depth 1956's The Mountain, starring Spencer Tracy and Robert Wagner, 1980s Resurrection, starring Alan Bernstein and Sam Shepard, and of course 1978s because we have to. We've been doing mm -hmm. this on the Imprint Companion. The Bad News Bears Go to Japan, starring probably in his most paychecked role, one Tony Curtis. Um, yep. So we're going to cover those also in the batch, which is now looking like it is sold out. So you're going to have to pick them up um, outside of the actual bundle um, is something to live for um, from 1952 carry from 1950. And finally, Oh no, sorry. I'm going to start that again um, because there's only five films. Oh, sorry. No, here we go. And Hurry Sundown, starring Michael Caine from 1967, as well as Jane Fonda. But let's kick it off with 1956's film directed by Edward Dimtrick. It is The Mountain. The Mountain, retired mountain climber and guide Zachary Wheeler, Spencer Tracy, reluctantly helps his younger brother, Robert Wagner, scale a treacherous mountain slope to reach the site of a recent plane crash. Truly his brother's keeper. He puts aside their differences and agrees to help his inexperienced brother on an immoral looting mission. After reaching the crash site, the brothers discover a lone survivor. Zachary immediately starts caring for the injured young woman, planning her rescue, while his brother would rather abandon her and make off with the loot. Uh, Blake, there is something that is truly insane that I said in that blurb. That is <laughs> brothers Spencer Tracy and Robert Wagner. They have a 30-year age gap, and it would actually make more sense for the story if they were father and son. I could never leap this hurdle with this movie. <laughs> How did you feel about The Mountain? Um, you're so right. 
there were so many times in the mountain that I actually forgot that they were meant to be brothers. It was only kind of like towards the end of the film that I was re-reminded of that case because actually I think they missed a trick here because the emotional resonance of raising someone who is so antithetical to your like moral compass mm -hmm. or moral value would have had a deeper and probably darker, more sinister, perhaps like relationship between the two. But I did love Spencer Tracy's kind of haggard, modest, uh, mm -hmm. just his, his entire expression of this character. He's a famous mountain climber. He's living in the mountains. He's kind of covered them for his entire life. He just wants a simple existence. He's farming now in his older age, he's been an explorer and his brother is just wanting to get the hell out of there. He hates living in his brother's shadow again, would be better as a father, as we've established, but you know, for a film that was made in 1956, it does, it does have some absolutely stunning photography mm -hmm. now there's there's some you know definitely some big set work here there's a couple of pretty trashy green screen elements as you would expect as it has an age but the overall of you know especially these long and wide shots of people traveling up and down this mountain you know going down these different snowfalls watching the snow kind of peel down the mountain like this you know you know flowery powdery mess that goes down as they're traversing the mountain to to conduct this rescue and to and to finish up the film i was kind of really blown away by the the, the visuals of it it is obviously a 1956 film it's quite slow but man it looked really beautiful and it just gives you that those pangs i guess lex of like <coughs> excuse me you see so many films these days that are like action adventure films and so few of them truly like go to a location and make you feel like you're in a place. And what's kind of beautiful about the mountain is that, you know, there's no lying. You, you, you do eventually want to see Spencer Tracy <laughs> um, pulling himself up and expecting that his strength can uh, help him, uh, you know, get to the highest mountain. But at the same time, he's got that kind of old bull toughness. And I, I think he really sold it. So I, I, I enjoyed that and and it took a while to warm up as in mm -hmm. the, the kind of emotional tension took a while to warm up. But once they're, they're on the climb and once they arrive at this crash site and there is a living person, you really get to see Robert Wagner play a true heel, which is such a nice thing because you don't get to see him play like a true dark heel that's kind of got this awful side to him, um, uh, especially this early in his career. It's like definitely a, a leading man, non-leading man move. And I, I had a really good time with that. Mm, and I will agree with you that it's just an absolutely gorgeous looking film. I believe it was shot on VistaVision or presented in VistaVision. Uh, and any movie that makes the leap to Blu-ray from VistaVision just looks so stunning i think it is the the not the kindest the format is to older films is in this division uh, i'm thinking about like the searches and stuff like that they the just reds so and blues beautiful. of this movie mm. just like the searches they just are, they're just bursting out of the screen and they just look so crisp and beautiful and obviously the blue skies are some great scenes where they're both you know i think you know philosophically there's some cool like you know what what is america who are americans what is their what is their moral value and like there's these great tension between these two reflections of these you know big american tough guys are they going to play the hero or are they going to play the exploiter and there's this sort of great philosophical edge we're going to get to that in a number of films that we talk about here about you know just the reflections of the political landscape but the technicolor through that vista vision is just outstanding it looks really magic so i had a really good time with this one and there's not a um 
not an amazing amount of uh, like special features, but there is a really good one um, with Robert Wagner himself remembering Spencer Tracy, his work at 20th Century Fox and The Mountain, which is very recent. It was only shot last year. So it was a really, that was that was one of the highlights here. Um, uh, the director, Edward uh, Dimitrik, um, has a 1990 interview on here as well, but really good stuff um, mm. uh, as far as like, if, if you're a bit of a fan of adventure films and especially something that's kind of a smaller scale and more emotional, um, this one, you know, this one ha- has has some stuff in store for you. And I would recommend that you'll have a great laugh with Spencer Tracy and Robert Wagner playing brothers. It never stops being <laughs> weird and entertaining. What have we got next on our list today, Blake? This might be uh, um, this might be one of our most tough watches of of the entire imprint batch. We're going to save probably the pick of the litter, the pick of the batch for last um, with one of your favorites, Lex. But I think. I think we need to be, you know, speaking from exploitative, speaking from things that are unbelievable. Who would ever let Tony Curtis at this time in 1978 take a group of small children to Japan? It is the bad news bears go to Japan. You said you've already raised the money for our trip to Japan? I have. Oh, yes, I have. Of course I have. Good. Good. Do we each get two and a half percent of profits? Yes, two and a half percent. Everybody gets two and a half percent well, of profits. Well, it profit. should be five. What? Five? What are you talking about? John Wayne don't get five. A bunch of ragamuffin American kids go to Tokyo, Japan to defend the national pastime. Is that natural? I'm talking national television. It's going to be beamed by satellite. I tell you, I've been waiting for something like this for years. Holy shit, he hit a home run! Holy shit, he hit a home run! <laughs> Get out there and play some baseball. All right, right off the back of the box. The Bad News Bears are back. This time, they've been spirited off to Tokyo by Marvin Lazar, played by Tony Curtis, a slick and sleazy con artist who sees in the team a perfect peg for a get-rich-quick scheme. The strikeout-prone Bears are pitted against a murderously skillful Japanese junior baseball team and the resulting comic chaos is hilarious well at least it is according to this lex this is our third jaunt with the bears we've seen some great films we saw one of your committee heroes walter matthau in the original bad mm-hmm. news bears we saw william devine um actually do a terrific leading performance as the kind of begrudging mentor to this group um in the bad news um bears too but now we've gone off to the bad news bears go to japan what do you think well, I must say that I love Tony Curtis, but this was pretty, pretty bad. This is a bad movie. Um, it really is. There are some charms to it, though. I'll be honest. Uh, obviously, the bears are fun. Like, I love seeing the bears and stuff. Tony Curtis, cool to see that he, like, the tradition of that being a really great actor, playing the kind of bad news bears manager or coach or whatever. Uh, but... The things that I probably enjoyed the most are kind of like the hokey moments where they're like, 
the bears are on like Japanese television variety shows or something. And uh, there's like these very old naff and daggy in the perfect kind of like 1970s way uh, variety shows with like music and singing. And I've kind of dug that. <laughs> Otherwise, Blake, I think this was... Uh, absolutely the worst in the bad news bears franchise it, it really is and what's sad is and and across both the previous bears you've got these kind of troubled complex mentors who find a kind of redemptive arc in helping these kids find cohesion become a team and they kind of find access to their humanity i guess after they've kind of stripped it away whether it's alcoholism whether it's war whether it's you know whatever the case may be whether uh, across the different films so far. And what's cool is watching them be as dark as they are and then come back. And mm -hmm. I just, in this one, I actually felt bad for the bears. I'm like, can't they just get a mentor that isn't a complete shit bag? Can't they yeah. like the, the stakes of the danger going to another country, the stakes of the con artists, basically taking them over there and contractually like obligating them to having certain amounts of money or not money, you know, based on their likenesses, based on their exploitation, based on actors. It just felt even more grubby than already mm -hmm. a series that is quite grubby. So yeah, I wasn't, I wasn't the biggest fan of this. This was the hardest slog. Like there was no, yes. the, the, there were very few redeeming values. Um, and, and by the end of the film, uh, you know, the cool thing about the other bears films is that they kind of like, they, 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 they end on a crescendo. They end on a high that makes you usually feel pretty, you know, you makes you kind of sore. Like you're with these kids that, you know, they've, they've, they're all kind of got absentee parents for whatever reason, deeply relatable. But this one, I was, it was a tough, it was a tougher hang than the previous ones. And, and fortunately it's our final entry to the bears franchise. So although for you imprint fiends out there, you need to have all of the imprint films. You need to have all these bears movies. This one is like, this is the skip, you know, if you, you know, when, yeah. when there's a great album, you know, they say no skips. And I would say in this series, this is a skip. Like you just, yeah. you don't need it. It's Mission Impossible franchise has Mission Impossible 2. James Bond has a litany of ones that you're like, mm. nah, I'm good. I don't need to watch that one. Yeah, but Fast this... and Furious has Fast X in cinemas <laughs> now. You've got those, but yeah, this one, this one is a miss for me. Yeah, and it is, it's a harsh watch. Like you watch it and you go, God damn, culture has evolved immensely since this film came out. It is, it will Thankfully make you cringe. So. Yeah, Some of the awful shit that happens in this movie will make you cringe real bad. <laughs> we'll be right back after this quick break. All right, this one we are going to talk about um, probably more in depth than even the other two films since a really quite special one uh, directed by Daniel Petrie. Um, it's, it's also written by John Lewis Carlino, uh, a story of spirituality. It's 1980s resurrection. Folks, what'll it be? So it was regular. Well, coming right up. 
Kansas, huh? That's a long wait. I've never been to Kansas, but of course, there's a lot of places I've never been. I'll get there someday. You ever been to Machu Picchu? I don't think so. It's in Peru. I've seen it in the National Geographic. This whole city's built on top of a tall mountain. You wake up in the clouds every morning. It's really something. Well, I hope you get there. Oh, I'll get there. It's just a matter of when. You really got a two-headed snake? I sure do. Want to see it? Mm-hmm. Cost you a dime. Okay. You just stepped right in my office here. Um, I have a little problem here. No problem at all. You just sit right there. Hiya, Ruff. You dog. Get down, Ruff. Ooh. I've only had her a couple of months. She come a-crawling out from under the porch there. It's a miracle. I call her Gemini. Now, both them heads can eat. You can pet her. She ain't poisonous or nothing. Go ahead. Uh, Go ahead. Yeah. Oh. The Hopi say the snake's a symbol of Mother Earth. Huh? Ain't she a sweet thing? Yeah. Get out. Rough. I think she's getting nervous. I, I best put her up. Okay. Resurrection, starring Ellen Burstein, is about a woman who experiences clinical death and returns to life with the amazing ability to heal others. Attributing her powers to human love rather than divine intervention, she begins to aid the residents of her childhood town with this power. Lex, this um, you had jumped onto this one just before I did, and you had mm-hmm. flagged it with me as one of the more special ones that you'd seen in this batch. Please Tell me what you thought of Resurrection. I thought this was wonderful. This is such a strange little film about faith and our relationship to the divine and the beyond. And it's so small and so intimate and just like, all I can really describe it is, is odd. It's a really odd film because at times it feels very grounded. And I think weirdly, one of the things that grounds this movie are these surreal moments that explore the realm of the beyond, like beyond what we understand, beyond like, you know, human soul and into kind of like this religious ether almost. And I think those moments are so beautifully strange that it actually grounds the film in that kind of magic realism. Yes. And I don't think I'd seen a film kind of balance faith and magic realism in a way quite like this before and it has really stuck with me and i'd say beyond that ellen burston one of the all-time great actors and this is in her probably like just after the very first peak of her career when you've got like um alice doesn't live here anymore the exorcist and stuff like that and this is a bit of a forgotten one i do believe she uh i do believe that she did receive an Oscar nomination for this film. And I think rightly so. But uh, she just, I can't even kind of articulate what she's doing in this movie. 
But it's like this calm essence and this evolution to this character is so interesting. And the end point that this character reaches, I found just fascinating. I really, really dug this movie. If anything, speaking about it now, just makes me want to watch it again because I feel like there's more to unlock and more to just like re-experience this film. Uh, And I had never heard of it before. I had never at all heard of it. And just i i just it's one of those ones that is like a great imprint discovery for me because i don't think there's another way to watch it in australia it's only on this disc so uh, it's one that i truly do recommend like if you are at a jb hi-fi sale this is if you're an international listener if you're on amazon and you can get Mm -hmm. a deal or you can go to the imprint film site itself and get it shipped over yeah, I have to agree with, I have to heartily agree and, and, and endorse everything that Lexa said here. I love Ellen Burstyn. She's a phenomenal actor. Mm-hmm. She's in a slew of incredible and iconic films in her career. This is really small. And what's great about it is this kind of um, healer journey, you know, as someone who comes back from a near-death experience and has what people you know, presume is some kind of divine power to heal, mm-hmm. what's so amazing is, they keep this in this very parochial backwater American context. And in Mm. that context, people, Mm -hmm. it it sort of shows that like, you know, we just talked about the bad news bears about the evolution of society. And obviously this is a more evolved society, even from the, you know, the depiction in the bad news bears, it's another five or six years later from that, that setting. But it just shows that, people, when they see these gifts that they don't understand, they have to rationalize them in some way. And for some people that's really religious zealotry. And, mm-hmm. and, and, and that's the extremity of this like very specific American film is people are looking at it like a divine intervention. And if they can rationalize it through faith, they completely accept it. And when they ever doubt that, especially really encompassing the character played by Sam Shepard Cal. I just love that that it becomes like a torture. It's like they don't understand it and then they start to fear it. And so it's this really yeah. amazing thing of care or, and then fear and wanting to squash it. And it just, I mean, across the absolutely wonderful gallery of American character actors that are in this, mm-hmm. movie, um, in the faces of all of those people are, is, is kind of awe, suspicion, um, you know, uh, you know, admiration. It's just amazing. I, I had a really good time and it is exactly the right scale. Some stories mm-hmm. get too big for their own boots and try and be too, lo- you know, too large and, and have too much to say. And this just says exactly enough, like it's enough. And it, it does a great job. And Ellen Bernstein, I think as the film progresses, it only gets better and better. Um, yeah. so yeah, I just, I had a great time with it, man. I'm, I'm so glad that in this batch, this was like one of your highlights and picks of the bundle mm. before we kept going. And I was like, yep, that's the one that immediately when it concluded. And like you said, like if I was going back of all the three films that we've just discussed in this batch or to go and visit others, this would be the one I'd give a spin just because, you know, there is something about, um, those inexplicable things, those inexplicable consequences of a new death experience that I think are fascinating always. And I think this does a great job of, um, you know, framing that for, for the audience. Absolutely. And I would also add, there are some great features on this. There is a really wonderful new interview with Ellen Burstyn, where she's looking back at this film and this performance and her characterization. 
I think it's a wonderful interview, especially just to hear one of the great masters of craft just speaking and really looking back at something that has not been like, you know, apart from an Academy Award nomination, I don't hear people talk about this movie. I don't hear people talk about this performance. I've never heard of it going before. Back this... to it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It's great. Uh, and also a wonderful video essay by Kat Ellinger uh, that I thought was just superb video essay. Great work. Kat does, uh, Kat's always doing the great work on uh, on these imprints. Mm-hmm, absolutely. Absolutely. There were a couple of other films in this batch. Should we run through them quickly in case anyone has any interest in them? Yeah, look, um, I, I think let's just go quickly. Hurry Sundown um, with Michael Caine and Jane Fonda, Faye Dunaway, Burgess Meredith, uh, George Kennedy. Um, mm-hmm. I, I gave that one a look. Um, we didn't, we didn't give it the, we didn't lift it up here. It is a very interesting film. It's about, it's, it's, it's a very um, socio-politically specific film about race in America and people returning from war and just this kind of like, it's starting to cast a bit of a, I don't know, a bit more of an objective reflection of post-war America um, and some of those racial politics and wealth building and, you know, that sort of thing. So it does have its qualities. Michael Caine, not sure that casting Michael Caine um, to play a Southerner was like the, yeah. the inspired thing uh, that I would think there, but uh, it's directed by Otto Preminger. So, I mean, he's one of the um, most incredible filmmakers of all time. So it kind of like um, was on there definitely for me to, to check out. And I checked it out, but we didn't give that the full look. Um, what mm-hmm. other ones were in the batch? I also checked out Something to Live For, uh, which was a rather interesting little film. It stars Ray Milland uh, as an alcoholic. It's kind of an early film in the mold of Alcoholics Anonymous from the mm. 1950s. It is by the great George Stevens, and it's kind of like the forgotten film amongst his classics of Shane, Giant, A Place in the Sun, Swing Time, Woman of the Year, Gunga Din, around that era of his career. It just kind of sits in the middle amongst all of them. And it kind of creeps up on you how moving this film becomes. The forgotten film, like in this trio of films for him, it is also interesting in kind of viewing this paired with Ray Milan's other addiction drama, Lost Weekend by Billy Wilder. Oh, yeah. It almost feels like a bit of a sequel to that film. Um, wow. And I quite like that one a lot. I uh, think it is worth checking out if you get in the batch or if you like those kind of classic films, the ones that I mentioned. It's cool. Or if you need to be a George Stevens completist, as some mm-hmm. of us are with our directors, we must own all of their films to to see the full the full trajectory of their career. Guys, thank you so much for listening to this imprint companion for the February batch. We'll be back to you very soon. I am Blake Howard. You can find all the stuff that I do at oneheatminute.com. You can find me on the socials at one Blake Minute and on um, um, on uh, that's on Twitter and on Insta. Um, and if you want to check out and support Patreon, it's Patreon forward slash One Heat Minute. You get a whole bunch of bonus content. We've got the Decade Project coming up there. We've got stuff with our patrons called Patrons Only, where if you're a patron. Um, in the highest tier, you get to assign me a movie and I get to talk to you about it. Lex is, of course, this is Alexi on Twitter and mm-hmm. on Instagram. Lex, tell the guys about um, where people can continue to support the currently uh, sporadic uh, Total Reboot. Um, but yeah. uh, tell, tell people what's going on. Uh, it's over at Total Reboot, uh, the podcast. I am jumping in every now and then doing some podcasts there. But I've been trying to take a little bit of time uh, for myself, a little bit uh, more casual relationship to podcasting, I'd say, at the moment. Uh, but only because uh, I'm working on some much bigger things uh, that I'm excited too. about. So I'm dedicating a little bit more time to that stuff. So you'll have some bigger treats down the line eventually. 
eventually well catch you on another episode very very soon because my shit ain't selling the same it won't be to sell you my latest no sneakers it won't because some niggas slid in my lane everything grows it's destined to change i love you little niggas i'm glad that you came i hope that you scrape every dollar you came i hope you know money won't erase the pain to the ogs i'm thinking you now was watching you when you was paving the ground i copied your case